franchising is the most misunderstood and most overlooked form of entrepreneurship. We're here to educate you and help you find the entrepreneur within. Franchising is not all about the French fries. We find that individuals who are exploring business ownership tend to have a lot of misperceptions and misunderstandings about the franchise industry. So what we want to do is help prospective business owners make confident and educated decisions before moving forward or not moving forward with the business. Welcome to Unpredicted Entrepreneur. Hello, and welcome to episode 23 of Unpredicted Entrepreneur. My name is Sarah Wasco, and this is my colleague, Roxanne Rapsky, and we are with FranNet of Dallas-Fort Worth in Oklahoma. And the reason that we uh, record this podcast is really just to bring information and value to any individuals who are considering business ownership, and specifically franchise ownership. And so today, we have a, uh, a guest with us. His name is Michael Peterson. Michael is the founder and president of Franchise Beacon, and he is also the director of franchise development for Building Kids Worldwide Preschool. And he is a wealth of knowledge in the franchise industry, and so we are thrilled to have him join us today and to provide some insight. Michael, welcome to Unpredicted Entrepreneur. Please tell us a little bit about your background. My background, sure. Um, so my background is a little bit adventurous. I grew up in a small town of 100 people in Montana. Until wow. um, I was 16, I hadn't lived more than 100 miles from Yellowstone Park. Um, so wow. very much uh, secluded out in the middle of nowhere. And then I got the travel bug. Um, and so I have called 17 states and three countries home in my life. Um, yeah, been a business owner just about all my life. Started my first business, uh, at 16 years old, real business, um, where I actually had multiple offices and things. And other than a small stint in the military, I have been a business owner my whole life. Okay. So I'm curious, what did you start at 16? Um, (laughs) so believe it or not, I was running a door to door vacuum cleaner sales offices in three different cities in two States. Wow. Wow. At 16 door to door vacuum. Okay. Wait, was it Kirby vacuum cleaners? (laughs) Okay. There was a competitor and somewhere around 18, I grew a conscience. And so I had to uh, find something new to do. Good for you. Good for you. So now you live in Dallas. I do. Good. Well, welcome to Dallas. You. you came from Southern California. Well, so I came from Southern California uh, via South America. So I spent a year and a half in Colombia after I left SoCal. I uh, was there for about a decade in, in Southern California. And then, uh, yeah, now I call Dallas home. Been here for, I guess, four and a half years. Not sure if it's forever home, but it's definitely home for a while anyway. Well, good. Nice. We're glad to have you. So with that background, starting with selling vacuum cleaners, how on earth did you get into franchising? Um, so the name of your podcast is what? Unpredicted Entrepreneur. Exactly. And you are one of those, aren't <laughs> yes, you? Yes, I really am. Um, so I don't think anybody says, I want to grow up and be a franchisor, right? Um, that's just not uh, normal. So like most people, I fell into it. I was running a marketing company in Phoenix with my then business partner. We had a company approach us, and they wanted a franchise. And so we figured it out 
probably incorrectly, um, but they sold one franchise and their franchisee bought them um, and they ah. became um, a corporate national windshield replacement of all things, uh, windshield replacement brand, um, like I think third largest in the country. And so that was a dip my toe in the water of franchising. I really dove in not too long after that, 2006, my partner and I were headhunted from Newport Beach, or I'm sorry, from uh, Phoenix to move to Newport Beach and uh, start the fran dev, franchise development side of a small little startup company called Play and Trade Video Games. I we, remember that company. Do you remember that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, they were, um, we made some, uh, we made some splashes. We went from, you know, so first of all, him and I decided to pack up our families, right, and move to Orange County, because why not? Um, <laughs> and in 2006, we had four locations open. By the end of 2006, we had 100. And we opened about a retail store every other day for 400 days. Wow. So, That's by amazing. Fire, yes. yeah. Wow. Yeah. Trial by fire for sure. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, and so, you know, that was a um, plane trade really gave me exposure into every faucet of being a franchisor. So I started out in franchise sales. Um, the industry, you know, most people think of 2008 as the housing crunch. I think of it as the iPhone 4. Oh, interesting. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, because that's what actually kind of decimated the console video game industry. Everybody has a video game console in their pocket now, uh. right? Um, and so as that was happening while we were in the middle of the recession, I took a step back and I said, you know what? I can't in good conscience sell this brand anymore. It was a strong brand. It was doing well. And then it wasn't. And so instead of leaving, um, which is what my plan was, I got told I was now running the legal department. Um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> so I did. Do you have um, a law degree? <laughs> no, uh, not at all. That's interesting. <laughs> and so I took it over, and basically it needed to be ran as a business unit um, instead of having gotcha. a lawyer at the head of it. And so I did that for about a year, moved from there to VP of operations and training, and was responsible for training and support of franchisees. And eventually, when I left the company in 2013, I was the chief administrative officer of the company. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So a lot happened in a few years with yes. that company, and you certainly were um, well indoctrinated into the franchising industry. One thing that I think is interesting is a lot of times it seems like when people get into franchising, they stay in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a, yeah. You know, I feel like people, there's so many opportunities and so many different ways to be involved in franchising that, that people find it challenging and, and fun, and they end up finding new ways to uh, be engaged in the industry, and whether it's being a franchisor or a franchisee, which you've obviously I've done both, done both mm-hmm. of, yeah. yes. Or so, even removing from the consultant side to franchise development yeah. And, yeah. Or, or vice versa. Right. So, yeah. A lot it's, of- it's an interesting business. We are in, you know, I've been doing sales since I was 16 years old. And this is the only sales job I had where I have to introduce somebody to every person I've ever sold my product to before I sell them my product. Right. So as yeah. a franchise development professional, my number one job is to say, no, this is not the right fit for you. Or hopefully guide you down the road so that you say, no, this is not the right fit for me. But that's really a different mindset. Well, and you bring up an excellent point because um, we have this conversation a lot. I always tell potential candidates that franchises are not purchased. They are awarded. awarded. So just as closely as you're looking at that franchise to make sure it's the right fit for you, in turn, 
you're looking at them to make sure they're, they're the right fit. So mm-hmm. I equate it to dating. Like every engagement is like a date and then you both mutually decide if you want to go on the next date, right? Right. And considering that most franchise agreements are between 10 and 15 years, the average marriage is eight and a half. Um, good analogy. It's another, right. <laughs> and I always say it's like a marriage and, and when, who wants to sign up for a bad marriage right. and everyone's like, not me. Exactly. <laughs> so they get it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah no, it's a, I call it the, that's why I never call it the franchise sales process. I always call it our mutual evaluation process. Oh, very good. I like yeah. that. So on that subject of franchise development, you are um, director of franchise development, as we discussed, with Building Kids Worldwide. Mm-hmm. So share with us a little bit more about that business. Sure. Um, so Building Kids is a um, a super interesting concept. First of all, so I am, you know, as, as you mentioned in the beginning, I'm the president of Franchise Beacon, and we take small companies and help them franchise, and we take franchisors and we help them um, sell franchises, you know, and award franchises uh, to the right individuals, um, as well as put together training support, things like that. I was fortunate enough in 2014 IFA to meet the executive team of uh, Building Kids just as they were starting to become a franchisor. So the company has roots way back to 2002, all in Silicon Valley, by the way. Um, the founder started um, the business because her daughter was diagnosed with early onset childhood diabetes and oh. got kicked out of her preschool uh, oh. because she couldn't. they didn't know how to take care of an insulin-dependent kid. And so she started this just to take care of her daughter. And then over 10 years, she had five schools that she had opened and kind of developed this goal and dream of touching a million children's lives in her lifetime. Wow. Um, and so her, her and two other partners got together, and that's when they decided to franchise. They actually decided to do three things. Keep corporate stores, mm-hmm. franchise, and use 25% of the profits of the franchisor to help underprivileged children around the world. And that's kind of where we're aiming for that million kid mark, which is what, what gets us up in the morning, is that million kid mark. So I met them in 2014. They were, um, uh, they looked like they had been drinking out of a fire hose when I met them. First day of the <laughs> of IFA. Of course, yes. <laughs> Probably not terribly unusual for uh, a new, were they already a franchise? So they, ish. Um, ish? They okay. had an FDD. It was. Okay, um, stop. They had an FDD, which is Franchise Disclosure Documents. Right. right. They had a um, they had an FDD. I don't know if I'd say they had a Franchise Disclosure Document. Okay. <laughs> Thankfully, they hadn't sold any franchises. Okay. So I got a hold of that, and um, you know they'd had a you know non-franchise attorney involved, and I got a franchise mm. attorney involved, helped them with that, helped them develop the systems and processes to evaluate a franchise, um, as well as support and train and all that. And so I've been there since the inception. Um, and so now today uh, we've got I want to say. 49 franchise agreements under uh, signed with 31 locations open on franchise. We started with 10 corporate locations, sold a handful of them off because it's expensive to become yeah, a franchisor, right. uh-huh. uh, but we do operate three corporate locations in the U.S., and we also operate uh, one in India. Nice. And the claim to fame is that the the franchisor uses, or the, team, the schools really, use music, dance, and theater to teach academics. So they're not a performing arts school. They're using performing arts to teach. They do also have dedicated performing arts classes once a week, and they have second language for any child over the age of three. So it's a really unique offering. It sounds like a really neat concept. Yeah, so it's something that really differentiates Mm -hmm. itself. So um, you said children over three. Is that that just part of the curriculum, or is that an option for them as far as the foreign language goes? Yeah, so no, every one of our kids over the age of three does a foreign language we're not talking about bringing in a linguistics professor, right? right. We're talking about a bilingual teacher um, because it is really, you know, just young children. Yeah. 
If you don't learn a second language by the time you're age of seven, uh, you, you have what's called a secondary linguistic pathway, which is how you handle second languages, and that goes away. Oh. I mentioned I live in Colombia for a few years. Trust me, that goes away. Yeah. Um, I did not learn a lick of Spanish in the year and a half that I was there. Oh, um, wow. Okay. I, yeah. So that's why we expose them to the language is not so much that they learn it, but that they keep that neuroelasticity in place as they go into uh, primary age. Does that help with creativity and left brain, right brain as well by developing that? If you know somebody who's into physics or if they use the word maths instead of math, uh-huh. ask them what theater they took. You don't even have to ask them if they took theater. Just ask them what theater they took. Absolutely. Uh, performing arts, especially you know, in the kindergarten and below age, um, is, there's a direct correlation between uh, higher level critical and cognitive thinking later in life. Oh. Interesting. Um, So I'm curious on the subject of the preschools. Um, There's been a lot on the news lately Mm -hmm. about um, the public schools now bringing in a preschool program. So in other words, instead of starting at kindergarten, they're starting at age, you know, four. Mm -hmm. How do you feel that that will impact the private sector of preschools? Would love to hear your opinion on that. Sure. So first of all, we're hearing about it here in Dallas, right? Um, But it's been going on for a couple years in uh, New York. They call it their 3K program, where they offer um, pre-kindergarten up to the age of three uh, in a public setting. Um, I love it because, first of all, there's enough preschool and daycare space in this country for 60% of the preschool um, and daycare-aged children. Right, that is a significant gap in the marketplace. Now, granted, not 100% of parents want their kids to go, but I don't think that number is 40%. That's why we have some of our schools with four-year waiting lists for four-year-olds, three-year wow. waiting lists for three-year-olds. I was going to okay. ask you about that. I've heard that the waiting lists are quite They're, long. They can be ridiculous. Yeah, yeah we, we actually do have one school that has four-year for four-year, three-year for three-year, two-year for two-year. You have to come in pregnant to get on her in wow. her school. Oh, interesting. Yes. Okay, you have to be pregnant, and that starts at age three. Right, yes. That, so, with all the other decisions that you're making exactly. when you're pregnant, I, I can't imagine trying to say, okay, where am I going to put this child when they're, you know, three years from now? But that, I mean, it's a good problem to have for that. It is. Um, for the school. School, Yeah. absolutely, absolutely. So the public preschools are going to offer a lower-cost solution, mm-hmm. obviously, right? Um, to me, a daycare is some place you take your kid when you don't want them to put their finger in a light socket while you're at work, right? <laughs> uh, preschool is a center for education, and the public uh, preschool fills in kind of the gap between those two, um, where it's not super expensive. It may be free in a lot of states. Um, and so the parents that can't afford a, you know, what we what we have historically thought of as a good quality preschool, and I'm not knocking on the public schools saying they aren't, right. but what we've historically thought of that, still have an option for their kids. But just like private school, you know, private schools are full, private schools have long waiting lists, you know, you often have to put your kid on a, you know, waiting list for four or five years in a pro, um, private primary age school. The same thing's going to happen with uh, private preschools. Is there just going to be where people want to go if they do have that disposable income to bring their child? That's a great point because there are a lot of elementary, middle, and high schools that are public, and there's still a waiting list for the private schools mm-hmm. in those sectors. So I imagine it being the same for pre-K yes. or pre-3. Is that what you called it? <laughs> 3K is 3K. what K. New York calls it. <laughs> and the other thing is these private or these public preschools are going to be running a lot of campaigns. They're going to be educating people. Um, the U.S. is 27th in early childhood education in the world. And that's an improvement, which is sad. 
Wow. Right. Um, and so as we start focusing more and more on it in the U.S., um, we're going to or as these as these public preschools open, we're going to start focusing more and more on it. And then as that awareness and adoption raises, obviously, that's going to raise both the private preschools and the public preschools. Interesting. <clears throat> Um, so one thing that I believe that you can really shed light on for our listeners is you've been on the franchisor side, mm-hmm. you've been on the franchisee side. So what are, and we talked about franchises being awarded. So if someone is thinking about franchise ownership, let's share with us what franchisors are looking for in their franchisees. Sure. Um, so first of all, if a franchisor is holds a mirror under your nose to see if it fogs and if that's their qualification process run, right? Um, most franchisors are looking for, they're not looking for the perfect franchisee because there's no such thing. They're looking for the perfect fit for their brand, their culture, their commitment, their investment. So help us understand more about what that means. What is the perfect fit? And I realize totally that um, different brands are going to have different um, skill sets Mm -hmm. that they're looking for. But just shed a little more light on what some of those um, attributes are uh, that would make a franchisee appealing to a franchisor. Sure. Um, and actually, I think, interestingly, you can take the inverse of what I can say, and um, and a franchisee can use the same thing to evaluate a franchisor as well. Um, so I have to talk about this to groups of franchisors that are in service industry and restaurant industry and, you know, um, an extremely sales-oriented brand versus extremely service-oriented brand all at the same time. Mm -hmm. Um, So I've kind of broken it down into a system. And that's first, figure out what you have to have. So as a franchisor, you maybe you have to have somebody with a sales background or you have to have somebody who can manage a staff of 10 to 15 people. Um, You know, what are your musts? Franchisee, same thing, right? What do you have to have? Do you have to keep your job? Do you have to go semi-passive? What is the absolute most you're willing to invest in a business, right? These are your musts. Mm -hmm. Um, Then you go into your, okay, here's what we're really looking for. Um, You know, whether that be a, um, you know, somebody building kids, they... Ha- they really actually, this is almost a have to, have somebody who is passionate about contributing to society, right? That is, if you're, if you're not hitting that, is it a must in so much as that the business won't work without it? No, but you're not going to be a good cultural fit, right, if, you're, if you don't have that passion. Franchisees can look at the same thing. What are their, what are their almost have-to-haves? Is it um, they don't want to have a business with um, sales, or that's what they want? They don't want a business with employees, or that's what they want, right? Uh, Maybe you don't want alcohol involved in your business. Uh, Maybe you want to be home-based. Maybe the idea of working from home drives you nuts because we've all been doing it for a while. (laughs) Whatever those are, those those kind of give you parameters. And then finally, um, in a franchisor, you then evaluate each person against those set of criteria that you've developed. And a franchisee, this is where you decide what you want to do. And what you want to do, as weird as this may sound, is should be the last question. Because first you need to have that narrowing down of what is really realistic for you to do and be happy with. And then out of that, you can say, okay, I, I want to be a, I have to be a home-based business um, that does sales. Well, great, now I have, you know, Human, uh, the, uh, the the placement companies, and I have the you know the mosquito squad companies and things like that um, that I can choose from that appeal to me. But first, narrow it down. 
Great. And of course, you guys do that, I know, so well for prospective franchisees, and you really help walk them through that process. Well, and I was going to say, great point, because I, I do talk about your have-to-haves and your nice-to-haves, but I think what you just, you know, hopefully the light's coming on for the people looking listening to this, because I always say that I feel people go at this backwards. They just get online and they start looking for businesses that they think that they're attracted to for whatever reason, and they don't go through that thought process that you just talked about. So it's really important to, if you're thinking about starting a business, start getting some stuff down on paper, mm-hmm. like Michael just talked about. You know, what what are the top three things that you feel like you have to have in a business? And then after that, what else do you want? So really getting a grasp of that before you start going out and looking at businesses. And, and the investment piece is huge, too, because you might be attracted to something that is a million-dollar investment, but your comfort level and ability is right around 200 or 250. So there's just, with 4,000 franchises out there, you can just get lost. It can yeah. just be daunting. And I would even say, you know, one, one, one step farther beyond that, too, with the franchise, I tell franchisors this, um, you know, really don't get your mind made up in what it's going to work until you get to that point of making that decision, right? Um, and so for, for franchisees, I definitely encourage, don't make up your mind until you, you've looked at the options. And then also, I've talked to many would-be franchisors that I think I've talked to them all out of franchising that are still in love with their business. They still get up every morning, and they love to go to work. They love what they do, and they're not bored. Yeah. They shouldn't franchise, right? Because they're, now they're switching businesses when they franchise. Mm-hmm. Well, the franchisee, this is a fine line to walk because you have to have passion. If you don't have any passion for what you're looking to do, um, it's, it's going to be boring. But we're not going to talk somebody into doing a business that's boring for them. But what I do want to make sure that we, you know, that's always front and center to a prospective candidate's mind is don't go into something that is your true love. If you're, if you love to bake, <laughs> don't buy a bakery because no. you don't get to bake anymore. <laughs> right. You get to buy baking supplies. You get to hire baking people. You yeah. get to set the prices of how much your cookies are, but you're probably not going to spend marketing. much time on that oven. Exactly. Yeah. Yes, exactly. You're going to do all these things to drive a bakery business and then you're not a baker anymore. And then the few times you do, it's because somebody called in sick and you had 20 other things you needed to do. So now you're mad. And now baking makes you mad. Yeah, that's so, such a great it's, point. Yeah, it's working, such a great point. You're and working I, on your business, not in your business exactly. as, as a bakery owner. Yes. And that example holds true. I want to kind of go back to what you said. So the example holds through, true as a franchisee. Don't get into something that you enjoy doing because you won't be doing that. You said the same thing about a franchisor. Don't franchise your business if you really love being in the business um, because you're a franchisor now. So I thought it would just be good. You kind of um, talked through that pretty quickly. Help people understand kind of what you meant by that. So Um, as a franchisor or a prospective franchisor, a couple of questions. First is what happens if you decide 30 days from now you're going to take three months off if you can't do that you're not ready to franchise because you have to pull yourself out of that business to become a franchisor um and then you are taking i mean folks who are looking at franchises know this franchise fees are not inexpensive right you're taking a piece of royalties off of these people's business and you're having them make a large investment generally one of the largest investments in their life which means you need to put your full-time effort and energies into supporting them and you can't do that while running your other business. Right. Yeah. So if you are, if you're looking for that next, and, and it doesn't mean you hate your business, 
right? I know Vanita didn't hate being a preschool owner when she decided to franchise, but she'd been doing it for 12 years and she wasn't feeling the challenge anymore. So she was ready for that next challenge while mm-hmm. still figuring out how to help children impact children's lives. So it's not that you're tired of your industry, but you're just ready for that next challenge. If you're not, if you're still feeling challenged every day going to work, number one, you don't want to walk away from that. And number two, there's probably some pieces to your business that are challenging you every day that you need to figure out before you franchise it. Those are great points. You know, so I have to tell you, I get asked a lot, and I'm sure you do, um, when people hear what we do, they want to learn about becoming a franchisor. They have mm-hmm. a business, and what? how do they become a franchisor? So since we run into so many of those people in the community, Michael, if someone wanted to get a hold of you and reach out to you with this question, how would they sure. get a hold of you? Absolutely. So, you know, my um, Building Kids School is buildingkidsschool.com. By the way, we're a preschool, but we spell it wrong. It's with a Z. Building <laughs> yeah. Kids School. And my business is Franchise Beacon. Franchise like a light, uh, uh, franchise like what we do, and beaconlikealighthouse.com. And both of those have a book, a call with me button right on the sites. Great. Yes. Franchisebeacon.com. Or buildingkidsschool.com if they're looking Building for kids preschool. With a Z, school.com. School.com. Oh, right, exactly. Well, thank you for joining us today. A lot of information. It flew by very quickly. So we yeah. appreciate your time. And for those of you listening, You can find Sarah and I on LinkedIn. I'm Roxanne Rapsky, R-A-P-S-K-E. Sarah is Sarah Wasco, W-A-S-K-O-W. You can find Unpredicted Entrepreneur and all a lot more information on our YouTube channel at FranNet of Dallas, Fort Worth, and Oklahoma. You can also find us on FranNet.com. Thank you. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, guys.